Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Well, we've been on a good journey here of looking at, uh, in response after uh, John Lynch was here, and I've been doing a series on the clear message of grace because I think there's uh, distortions. Uh, it was interesting to have uh, feedback after John was here and from, uh, from some folks who dearly love us and are close to us, but who had had other people say, talk about us being a hyper-grace church, whatever that word means to some people, and it's a way of doing that, and the, the misunderstanding of a very, very clear message of grace, not only that, of what's been taught here, but what we believe here, what we follow through with here, and then why that message is so important. So this isn't just for us to go, yeah, we're okay and we understand this. This is actually, ho- hopefully, instruction and help for you guys to navigate your life in, uh, in the midst of a a stormy climate that we're in as a nation. It's, it feels, uh, um, and I, I can only speak now from my generation as an older man, my gosh, it's messed up. Uh, it's never, uh, I'm sure that my parents and grandparents' generation felt that as they came through out of a Great Depression and then World War II and then the Korean conflict and then the whole uh, uh, free love movement that started in from the, from the you know, which was really, actually it was just based around a drug culture. Uh, most of us tend to forget that, that, that the whole idea of what happened in the, the rebellion against the establishment in the 1960s actually grew out of the development and use of an entertainment of recreational drugs that hadn't been in common society like just for everybody at that point in time. So I'm sort of giving a history lesson to introduce this, but that uh, I'm sure that felt like turmoil because I, I was there and then and, uh, and certainly our music had a message in it and, and doing that s- sort of stuff. And now today it feels like music is part of the problem instead of addressing a problem, if that makes any sense. Uh, and I, I think all of us as Americans believe that, but here, here's what's more important. Us as believers in the turmoil, and no matter how you view things of what you think are, are right social things in America, or right politics in America, our lives as believers get hammered by, by all sides of it. And, uh, and it feels like a disarray. And so I've really had the Lord speak to my heart, and I want to share this. This is in my notes. And doesn't that particularly, uh, it does have to do with the clear message of grace, but I just, I just want to, I'd like to, I don't know, maybe just speak a little bit to, from my heart to you, not that I don't do that anyway. Um, and, and remember this. And it, it came very clear to me. I've, I've been... Meditating on Romans fourteen seventeen for about two weeks, which is the kingdom of heaven is not 
found in eating and drinking, but is found in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that as believers, one of our greatest commodities that we can hang on to, one of the, the, the most monumental things that we will ever do in, in our life is to live in the now. And this is what I mean by that. If you live looking backwards of either that was bad or that was really, used to be really good, or you can go, no, where I grew up and my family was really bad. No matter what you do, it's good to always look back because you can see the work of the Lord in your life. But if you live back there and you live in the woulda, shoulda, couldas, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. And this doesn't matter if you're, listen, you can do this at 12. You can start looking back and say, I wish when I was in fifth grade I'd done this. So th this isn't a time-generated an old person looking back. This is no matter where you're at in life. If you live back there, you're going to have anxiety over what you did or didn't do, what you did wrong, what you did right, how it affected others, how others affected you. If you live there with the constant thought of it, it produces a weird angst uh, inside of our souls of what was lost. What, what could have or should have been, or I wish I had, had done that differently. Uh, it's like the song that John Mark McMillan sings where he talks, uh, the future past songs, where he says, I, I can't live in regret. Living in regret eats your now up. Neither can you keep looking towards this unforeseen future and hoping that things are different. Here's, here's a strange thing for believers. Our hope isn't that circumstances will change. If that's where your hope is, prepare to be disappointed. And you will live in anxiety over again. What if, oh, and if that, and if they do that, then this group's, that's gonna, and then, and then, and then, and you start getting in this ball of anxiety. And God, the peace of God is in the right now, in the present tense. It's even when he talks about faith, now think about this, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is. See, he's putting it in a present tense now, right now in your life. This is what faith is. But it deals with the future stuff in that the sense of we're to place our hope in God. You can't place your hope in changed circumstances because it just, and I'm not trying to be a counselor this morning, it builds anxiety in our hearts. It doesn't mind. I just, now, guess why I'm talking about it? I've just been through that. And go on, and the Lord and the Holy Spirit's just going, live in my presence with me right now, in me. You live and have your being. You move in me. And there's not something I'm waiting to, for you to push the right button or do the right thing, and then I'll line things up and it'll be okay, kid. Wink, wink. That's not God. That's not how he, who he is or how he operates. 
Here's what, here's what an interesting thing in the Word of God. The steps of a righteous person are ordered of God. Is God not big enough so that we don't live in anxiety? Is God not big enough to order your steps? What does that mean? He's going to tell me what to do? Yes. But then it means it's a whole lot about the choice I make. Yes. Yes, it is. That's the glorious good news of Christianity is we get to choose life. We get to choose God. That's the trust that God lays out before us is choose me and I'll be with this. I'll be right in the midst of it with you through everything that you're going through, every step of the way, every part of the journey. What if I make the wrong choice? He doesn't go away. He goes, I knew you were going to make that wrong choice. Why didn't you stop me? Because I have no sense of controlling you. Because then I would have a bunch of little robots, little androids, and he doesn't want that. A funny thing is God wired us the way he's wired. God is wired for relationship. He was from the beginning. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were always in relationship before this was created. So when he created you and I, he designed us for relationship with him and with others. And we do that in the now. We carry each other. So it says to do this. It says, um, we're to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. Well, that's kind of a chameleon thing. No, that's living in the now. If you're going through something really hard, I can go, oh, Oh, girl, I so feel where you're at. I hurt because you're hurting. And God gets right in the midst of that. and He doesn't abandon us. So some of us are going through some really excellent things, and some of us are going through some really damn hard things. <laughs> and, and I'm just doing everything I can just to just to hang on. And if I can just tell somebody that that's what's happening, it helps me. And that's living in the now. That's what we're here for. And that's why, so when we talk about an authentic expression of grace, that's the authentic expression of grace, is I can be with you in the moment. And I can hurt, legitimately hurt with you. And my heart can hurt with you. When that happens, if you feel somebody else's pain, that means you're living in community. And that's what he's called us to do. Um, So I I just wanted to share that. Because the flip side is this. What if it's about my mess-ups and I'm sinning? Because when we talk about this clear message of grace... So much of what we have been taught in the past is not this about grace. It's, uh, it's something way different. Um, as our, our group that goes through this cure book, uh, we got a little far, far astream this morning, but we're in a place that I want to read to you just a, a short section from the cure, and it's, it's about the two views of God. 
that we have. And uh, so this is two people having a discussion about their views of God. And I want you to just hear this this morning. He says, uh, I'm going to put it in context. Uh, He's talking about people being new creation. He says, they are new creation. God lives in them to encourage, correct, and even rebuke. That's God in his love. Any of you ever been rebuked by God? Ooh, I have. You know what it sounded like? Lloyd, don't do that. He wasn't trying to control me. He was just going, that's not going to work. Was that grace? I was abundant, overflowing grace. I believe that if I had continued to do that things, the next things he would have done in grace would be for let me get caught. See, we've been, because we've been taught sin management, Christians think that when they get caught doing something wrong, that is, they move to, that's God judging me. That's not judgment. It's mercy. It is merciful when you continue doing something wrong that is harmful to you and other people. It is merciful for God to let you get caught. Because that's how it will stop. It's such mercy. It's such an extension of his grace into our lives. Um, I taught for years with, uh, in discipling young men and women that uh, one of the greatest things that you can ever do in your life is if you can learn a $1,000 lesson from $1 mistakes. If you can tuck that baby away and go, oh, and that's called a rule of thumb. It's horrible where we get the word rule of thumb from. But uh, if you can pass that through, that's the righteous steps, you know, the steps of a righteous person are ordered of God. That means when I get out of order, he goes, oh, I love you so much. I'm going to do that. And I think that people who hear the grace message think that grace people don't believe that. We believe that here. Without being pulled into sin management, which that's where we tend to go. Now, I have to take care of this that I created. Now, it doesn't mean you're not responsible, but you can't get rid of sin. You never could. That's why Jesus came. Jesus was God's answer to the fall of mankind. Always. Jesus wasn't plan B. Jesus, from the very beginning, was plan A. Always. There was no other plan in God. There wasn't, oh, well, I really liked them till they did that. Uh, Jesus, would you go down there and straighten that mess out? Jesus was right there in the beginning, and they knew. Beginning from end. Jesus was always plan A. And we can't do plan B when we've sinned. We go back to... Come on, follow with me. We go back to plan A. What about if when it's somebody I love that's doing it? Guess what we have to go back to? Plan A. He is the answer. Our answer is found in the now, in Christ. Well, that makes... So you're talking about Christianity light. No. 
I'm not talking about Christianity light at all. I'm talking about Jesus in the presence of you being in Christ and Christ in you. And that he will always lead and direct. And he will lead you in paths of righteousness because that's who he is. And the desires in your heart, now we all know this, so we get kids in here, but let's do this anyway. You didn't just wake up and, and decide one morning you were going to slip into sin. Sin's more devious than that. It starts out as a, a long progression. It kind of hints at you. It kind of, it's a little, uh, it's like baking bread in the house. <laughs> you ever smelled homemade bread cooking? It permeates the whole house. Matter of fact, when you pull up in the driveway, you start going, <laughs> that's the way temptation and sin works too. Don't ever get your eyes to, oh, I was just so, I was so shocked. No, you weren't. You weren't shocked. This didn't happen in a nanosecond. You were righteous. Now all of a sudden you're going to decide to do something really bad. So in, in the authenticity of Christianity, we want to play with things. Here's, here's what I found is the greatest thing about living in the now. Those are the things you take to Jesus right then. Not after, before. In, in the midst of it. Now, he'll stand with you in his worst Everything that John said, I believe. God is with you on your worst day. But God was with you on the not-so-worst day when you were thinking about having a worst day, maybe. And he was right there. And you can talk to him about it. He's not shocked. He goes... Lloyd, what's wrong with you, you naughty little boy? You go, I died, I became that, I became that sin that you're flirting with so you could be my righteousness. That moves it into a way different realm when we look at it in grace. That's how we handle those kind of things. And when you start handling those kind of things, Listen, you walk in a different level of maturity when you start doing it this way. You're step-by-step living in daily life, and those around you seeing it, it's like, whoa, whoa, oh my gosh. And then they want to be pulled into relationship with you in your life. It's what makes us attractive. Listen to what he said. So, the reason people rebel is not because they trusted grace or chose to live out of their new identity. It's the very opposite. It's moralism. The law of religious practice and thought that keeps them trying to get away with something. Okay, you want me to read it again? The reason people rebel is not because they trusted grace or chose to live out of their new identity. It's the very opposite. It's moralism, the law of religious practice and thought that keeps them trying to get away with something. Here's what the religious thought, what the legalist says. The legalist says... That's the line. Don't cross it. They say it that harsh to themselves. I know what's wrong and I know what's right. But here's what the legalist does. 
So I'm okay, right? They lean right against that line. And then every once in a while, they want to go, nobody saw me. King's X, all the outs in free. That's a form of legalism. The believer who's in Christ goes, in him I live and move and have my being. See, I don't think about right or wrong. I think about who I am in Christ. It's not an issue of, I did that wrong again. Oh, I stepped over. I shouldn't have done that. Woe is me. Now God's going to get me. He's going to be mad at me. Now they got a whole bunch of stuff that they got to make up to deal with that. But in Christ, I don't deal with that. That's been dealt with. Christ didn't just die for what was wrong. He died for the law of what was wrong. This is, this is stunning. This is the true message of grace. Because that will tempt me to do wrong. In Christ will never tempt me to do wrong. The law incites sin. Always. It always has. It always will. Is this making sense? So those who are, he says this, it's the most incredible statements. I, I know I'm always stunned by this. I know I use that word too, too much, but this is stunning. That Christ became an end to the law for those who believe. I'm not trying to be moral. I am in Christ. I'm not trying to be a better person. I failed at it. I'm now in Christ. I'm a righteous person. God didn't come to fix me. He came to make me new. You don't maturing is not you being a better person. Maturing is you coming into a full knowledge of being in Christ I live and move and have my being. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And I will forever be, this is a shocking statement, and if you can do this one and not the legalistic one, the shocking statement, I will forever be righteous. There's nothing else that can be declared over me. That's why when I begin to act or feel or talk unrighteous, it doesn't feel good. Because it's no longer who I am. And I can live in the now of that. I hope this is connecting. Because grace, of all the people that need to get this, it's us. Because this is what I now believe. This is what set me free from me and my own religion and my always trying to get it right and then my little judgmentalisms towards you if you couldn't do it. Well, yeah, they were doing it, but, you know, they... So this, this, is a, this, oh, this message is the most heart freeing message because all it does is it invites I still have choice just like I was taught before but my choice is this Christ my choice is identifying who I am every day every minute I'm in Christ so when the temptations come 
The temptations will still come to do wrong. Here's how I now, if you will, combat or resist. I don't resist sin. I resist the idea of not being who I am. And I say, that's not who I am. I pray it all the time now. now. Because if you think I don't get assailed like you get assailed, it's wrong. We all get assailed the same measure. There's not one of you different. There's not one of you that is a better, more moral person than the other. That's moralism. But you are all the righteousness of Christ. So we use the very thing called grace that entered in. Let me read this, and then we'll get to that, okay? And I'll get us there. Okay, it is moralism, the law of religious practice and thought that keeps them trying to get away with something. This guy goes, wow, I've never heard anyone say that. Well, you're hearing it this morning. Look, Jesus says we really are new people. Jesus says this about you. Completely righteous. Jesus became sin so we might be righteous. Jesus didn't become theoretical sin. The idea of it, the things that, you know, when we tend to, he, he became the thing that you do that's called sin. says he actually became real sin in every possible way that sin can be sin. And if the corollary holds, then we didn't become theoretically righteous. It's not a theory. It's not an idea. It's not a nice concept. We became real righteousness in every possible way that righteousness can be righteousness. That starts an earthquake inside the human soul that goes, what? This is the stuff we're really supposed to wrestle with as believers because this is the stuff that will mature you. This is the stuff that grows you up. Not doing another Bible study. Not going to another meeting. The real maturing in Christ is to come to the complete understanding of this monumental thing that he changed my nature, I am born again. I was something, it's from two. I am now something completely different. Glorious. Stunning. When I look in the mirror, I should see the righteousness of Christ. If you're seeing anything less than that, make a different choice. Change your language and say it differently to yourself because you're saying it wrong. So we either align ourselves with what Christ has done or we keep in the futility of that legalistic chair that sits there and goes, you deserve the electric chair. You deserve the electric chair. Christ said, I became the electric chair. I was crucified on the electric chair of your sin. And I took every bit of it into me. Now it's done with. This is, this is unheard of. I, I believe this is, a, this is the message that can change a millennial culture. 
Half of them are nihilists. And no wonder, because we taught moralism and legalism, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Look, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it's right up there. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, this isn't like you'll grow into it. He's making a statement that says, look, he did this so that you can be this. It's not something that you have to keep growing into. I don't get progressively more righteous. Should I try to be more righteous? Well, you can, but that's a whole spattering of life that, oh my gosh. You're not wrong or bad, you're just, this is what it is, you're doing it. Yeah, it's by the flesh. You're trying to self-control, and it doesn't work. But if I declare of me what God declares of me, I do grow, and I do move further and further and further away, not just from the legalism, but this is a strange thing. I move further away from sin. And I move further away from the temptation to sin. How do you know that? Because I have been living it now since 2010. When it interrupted my life and he said, there's a, there's a way that I made for this and you're not doing it. You love me and I love you, kiddo. And I know you've loved me. I know, I've watched how hard you've tried. Would you like to do it the way I really made it now? You'll quit being so frustrated because I got to the end of the road of right principles and they didn't work. Because any Christian that believes if they do everything right, life's going to be a butterfly, uh, ethereal, wonderful time. It's not. This is a fallen world. This world has, listen, has bad people in it. No such thing as they're all children of God that do bad things. And they're, in Ephesians, he refers to them as the, that they're sons of disobedience. Doesn't mean they're not children of God, but Listen, I don't want to be around disobedient people. You know, have you ever, since you were a believer, did you ever go to like a gathering of people and they were doing like things that were wrong and they knew they were wrong and you knew they were wrong? It doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't wear well on the soul of a righteous person. It's uncomfortable. It's supposed to be. Most people can recognize and can agree with being born with a sin nature. I know what I was like. I know what I was like. You don't know what I was like. You know, and this isn't just a, a, a put down of self or me trying to show you how bad I was. I don't even like to talk. That guy died. That's why I don't like to talk about him. That's a dead person. He was corrupt, he was wrong, he did evil things. 
How bad were you? Bad enough. Needed Christ. Needed a Savior. Just like you. I was born with that nature. I, I was self-protective. Everything about it. But by placing my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I received a new nature. The old nature died. It didn't just go away or remain hidden someplace in me that is now trying to create a war inside of me. If you believe that the power of God is not greater than that, you don't understand being born again. God put in me a new nature, totally righteous. That new nature, my new innermost man, my spirit man is in Christ, says in 1 Corinthians 6, joined to him. And that's what that, the word means, closer than marriage, joined to him. It means bonded, that can't get, it's, it's like the new super, super, super girl, glue, glue, glue. Not girl, not super girl, super glue. And it's joined, and it can't get unjoined. So what do I need to learn about? How to overcome the old sin nature? Or should I learn about living in the new nature? This isn't hard, and I'm not grading on the curve. Right now. And if you still haven't tried this, I double-dog dare you to stand in front of the mirror tomorrow morning and go... Whoever, let's, I'll, who can I, I'll pick on Brenda. That way they're in the Brenda, you are a new person in Christ today. You reflect all of who Christ is in you today. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you go out to Johnson Farm and work, and you go there in Christ in the now. And you listen attentively to every conversation that's going to happen. And you will hear sinful things. But you see, you are there to represent who I am and how I defeated all of that without one breath of moralism coming out of you. Well, does that mean I accept and tolerate what's going on in the world? No, there's things going on in the world I hate. I deeply dislike them. But my dealing them with dislike and hate is not going to change them. Have you noticed that? Defeating immoralism with moralism has not worked. But in Christ, there's a much different approach. Much, what is it? I don't understand everything you're going through, but I know a God who does. And he loves you. And he's for you 100% today. Well, that just sounds religious. No, it's not. It's really funny, but when you talk to non-religious people through Christ, they receive it. You talk to them through moralism, you're the religious person. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. We now bear 
the image of the heavenly man. This is incredible. The second Adam, Jesus, who is the life-giving spirit. Salvation isn't just Jesus just forgiving you and pointing out how to behave and giving you hints and a new way to try to live. It's not him saying, okay, I'm giving you another chance. I've heard that preach. I've preached it. God's the God of another chance. No, he's not. He died for every chance you'll ever have. You know, do it right from now on, and, and uh, I, if you promise, will you really promise to try really hard? Will you mortgage the rest of your life? Will you promise to go to this and to that? He doesn't do that. In him we live and move and have our being. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's in you. This is a game changer. So, what's the clear definition? Grace is the Spirit of God enabling you to be who He created you to be and to do what He called you to do. We put on Christ. Is there still right and wrong? Yep. How, how do you choose right from wrong? I don't. I choose Christ. He knows right from wrong. Every time I choose Christ. This isn't just a wordsmith or a word game. Choose Christ. The next time it starts in that, that stinky little direction of where you're actually flirting with the idea of flirting with the idea of flirting with sin. Choose Christ right at that spot. And I choose Christ by saying this. You're a new creation. Your new identity is to be everything that Christ is. Wow. I don't have to do what Christ did. I have to be who Christ is. Christ did it so I could be it. Does that make sense? That's the definition of grace. And that, that's what it does in our life. Look at that. And I'll just close with this. <laughs> grace is how God decided to deal with sin. Not moralism. Not the law. Grace is how God decided from the foundations of the world to deal with sin with a corrupt nature. He gave us new life. He died, he literally became sin, he died so that you could literally become righteous. And with the experience we have, we live in this new nature in a fallen world, and there's the struggle. Right there, that is the whole crux of every believer's life. I live, you live in purity and in righteousness in an impure world. Those clash. Those clash. But the, what the world wants you to do is to compromise. I'm not talking about moralism. I'm talking about moral compromise. They want you to compromise who you really are. If you can see this as a fight for your true identity, 
all of this will get easier to separate yourself from the world. You decide, so let's take it down to real brass tacks, and I will close with this, I promise. Watching something on TV that makes you feel uncomfortable, whether that's a horror flick, uh, a, a movie that has salacious nudity in it, has corrupt violence in it, whatever it is that's making you feel uncomfortable, that is an identity issue, not a moral issue. Here's what I ask myself now. Well, actually, I don't anymore because I just don't, I don't do that. It's not a brag. It's just that this works if you just do this. Would Christ choose to watch that? Not a form of legalism. Would Jesus be comfortable watching the sin that he died for? No. Then you shouldn't either. Is this making sense? So I choose my new identity. Christ, Christ wouldn't, he wouldn't enjoy that. So my flesh is telling me I would enjoy it, and the Spirit of God that's in me going, no, you won't. No, you won't at all, because you're going to taste that, and afterwards, you're going to feel guilty. And guilt doesn't taste very good, does it, precious? just doesn't. I hate guilt. So in him, I live and move and have my being. I'm actually a pretty happy guy most of the time. I still get upset at some stuff. But oh man, I'm growing. Oh man, I'm maturing. And listen, you don't have to wait till you're in your 60s like I, you know, I get, uh, man, you can do this now at 12. In him, you can live and move and have your being and it's glorious. Right now, today, whatever age you are, the invitation remains the same. In him, I live and move, have my being. The world wants me to live outside of that. There's, there's the battle. I wish it was an easy battle, but I do know this. This is the other part of grace, and you can call it sloppy grace or whatever you want. Even if you succumb to that, He's with you. And you, the same thing that dealt with the previous stuff deals with that one and is going to deal with the one in 2027. I'll probably be in heaven. Maybe. Maybe not. No, not yet. 2037. Okay, 2037, and when you're my age, but here's a good news. I'll be the witness that is smiling and praying with you. Harness, go, go back in. Here's the takeaway today. Go back in, and if there's been an area in your life where you're really struggling, go back to the identity issue, not the sin issue. Do not go back to the sin nature. Go back to your identity in Christ and watch a glorious thing happen because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Keep coming back to in Christ. Yes? Stand with me. I hope this clear message of grace is being clear and it's getting in there and it affects and infects you. I hope you get the good 
disease of Christ. <laughs> the, the very thing, the very fabric of thing that can change. Lord, we know, we know the actuality of this. So many of us in this room have tasted the other stuff and it didn't work and we taste the freedom that you bring and we go, this is it. And we remind ourselves of it and we re-embrace it. I remind myself and I remind others today that in you we live and move and have our being. Not in, not in a Bible, not in written words, ink on a page. In you we live and move and have our being. And this was a real thing. This really happened. You really became sin. And I really became righteous when I received you. Thank you. That's all, that's all, if there's any response or requirement, it's to say thank you. We see it in, in, in the Bible. People going, thanks be to God. Paul writing, thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. Wow. We just say wow. And we say yes. I am in Christ this day. Would you say that? I'm in Christ this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give somebody.